Thanks, Julie. I wonder if you didn't have your Bibles open, how many of you could have just rattled that one off? It's one of the most loved passages in all of Scripture, one of the most quoted, memorized, printed passages. And uh, it's brought great comfort to so many and, and hope in times, good times, but also in those really hard times of life and particularly in the face of death. And uh, it's because of the great promises that it contains. So today, let's explore those promises and find out who those promises are for. Are they just for King David? Or are they genuinely for you and for me as well? Well, Let's pray as we look at it together. Loving Father God, please give us wisdom to understand. Open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, you can see there in the subtitle, Psalm 23 is by David. And the first thing that really strikes me about this psalm is just how personal it is. Now, I don't want this to feel like a kind of a year six English lesson, but have a look at the screen. Apparently they're called personal pronouns. But as you look at it, it's really intimate. My shepherd, I, he, me, he, me, he. And then by the time you get down uh, to verse 4, it's you and I and you and I. And there's this real intimacy as he's going through expressing uh, the words of this psalm. Wonderful, wonderful thing. And I think one of the dangers uh, in our busy lives is that we so easily compartmentalize God. Think God fits in these parts of life. Well, here we are, church. Of course, He fits here. Uh, we'll sign up for a connect group. Yeah, God kind of fits in that spot too. And we try to 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 force a bit of God into our family routines. But outside that, well, does God really fit in our lives? And we tend to just charge headlong into all sorts of activities without giving Him a thought. What I love about this is that every part of David's life is kind of coloured in a good way, wonderful way, by his relationship with the living God. Now, as we heard it read, there's kind of two parts to the psalm. The first four verses are an extended metaphor about God being like David's personal shepherd. It's really quite extraordinary because, I mean, God, almighty God, being kind of thought of as, as a shepherd. Shepherds were the, the lowly. I mean, it was kind of the lowest job. David was the youngest in his family, so he got the job. Um, but he, he extends this metaphor about, about God being like his shepherd. And then verses 5 and 6 about God serving David a royal banquet. Again, it's an extraordinary picture. Now, the details in, in his description of these two scenes betray his personal experience, don't they? What was his job growing up? He was a shepherd. And then, of course, he became the king, king of Israel. And and you hear that familiarity come out. Uh, Because, of course, you can tell when someone is telling a story secondhand. You know those moments, especially if it's something that they've never personally experienced themselves. I've got to confess I've done it too. You know, I think... 
preachers are good at it sometimes, telling someone else's story to illustrate a point. And it kind of works, but it lacks the detail. But David, he knows exactly what he's talking about in these two scenes, uh, very familiar scenes for him. And he uses them to try and help us understand God's love and care for him. Wonderful promises, wonderful promises for King David. But are these promises for you and me as well? It's our question. We'll find out in just a moment. But, but first, I think, let's have a look at the promises. Let's walk through the verses of this uh, short psalm. Verse 1, it's a picture of complete satisfaction of the soul. I shall not be in want. Or more clearly, I lack nothing. Imagine being able to wake up and say that every day. I lack nothing. What's your picture of complete satisfaction? What, what, what are you kind of, uh, your, your idea of paradise? When I think about the Middle East, now here's my second answer. I've never been there, but I've been on Google Earth and I've seen the picture and I've talked to people I have been and I've seen pictures that Mal and Chris have sent back. It's hot and dry and uh, the mountains are really rugged, often no grass, very steep. So if you're a sheep and you had to describe paradise, I reckon verse 2 is pretty close. Look at it. Green pastures, lying down to rest, you know, quiet waters. It's a beautiful picture. And then verse 3 reveals that this is not merely about physical contentedness, physical pleasure. It's about spiritual well-being and moral purity, moral goodness. And notice that it's all God's doing. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Why? So that I can feel good for my benefit. Is that what it says? No, It's for his namesake, for his glory. And I think there's a profound truth here. You see, I am most satisfied when I live for his namesake, for his glory. I'm most satisfied when God is most glorified. Some of you may be familiar with uh, the speaker and writer John Piper He kind of said the same thing, but round the other way. He put it like this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So living for God's glory is is actually the key to my own satisfaction in life. And we heard in the the, uh, earlier reading, Jesus came that we may have life to the full. When you think about it, it's not exactly rocket science, is it? I mean, God made us. He knows what we need. He made us to love him and obey him. Life works best when we follow the maker's instructions. But we, we say so easily just want to go our own way, don't we? It's just so natural to us. But it's a wonderful truth. Verse 4 is wonderful. It's such a bold claim. In the harsh reality of life in a broken world, and I know many of you, have felt like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death at times. Well, we have too. And there's all kinds of uncertainties and problems that you just simply have no control over. 
But David responds like this, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His confidence, once again, was not in himself, but in God alone. The rod and the staff are the the shepherd's uh, uh, implements. The shepherd's rod was a weapon for protecting the sheep. When David was talking to Saul before fighting Goliath, he said, Oh, you know, I've, uh, I've protected my sheep. I've fought off the lion and the bear. He's using the rod at that point, smashing, you know, all that kind of thing. I can't imagine doing that. Terrifying, wouldn't it? But that's the rod. And then the staff is an implement for directing the sheep and at times rescuing them from danger. If they're caught. And David imagines these two implements in the hands of a powerful, loving God. And it brings him great comfort. Because David knows that he is protected and safe. And God will guide him and correct him and keep him on the right path in life. And then David moves to this image of the royal banquet. What's going on here? Uh, Hospitality has always been highly important in Middle Eastern culture. Just watch that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Who's seen that one? It's just every scene has mountains of food. Do you notice that? It's just food, food, food. Uh, Eating together signifies acceptance. More than that, a real commitment to those at the table. The striking thing here is that God is the host and David is the guest. He's being honoured not just among friends either, but in full view of his enemies as well. And how long, long does this feast last? All the days of my life. More than that, I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a striking picture. Oh, we haven't got the time to explore all the depth of meaning in those uh, uh, verses and each little uh, picture there. But what I want to do is just, just highlight the promises that David has laid out for us. Complete satisfaction. Peace in his heart and his soul. Security and direction in life. Hope for the future eternal well-being. What a package. Like some of that? It's amazing, isn't it? Wonderful promises for David. But are they for you and for me? I mean, genuinely, are these things that God holds out for you and me? And if so, how? Well, I want to look at that. But, but first, I think we need to see how Jesus fits in. Actually, I think it's pretty easy to see how Jesus fits into Psalm 23 because uh, all these things apply straight to him so easily. Artists love it, don't they? You know, Pat, here's an old one. Richard, you could do a much better one than that. Um, I should have asked you earlier in the week, shouldn't I? God the Father is his loving shepherd. Spiritually and morally, he lacks nothing. He follows paths of righteousness. And God protects him through valley of the shadow of death, even death. On a cross, and then exalts him. Here's the banquet part exalts him to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, every knee, enemies as well, will, will bow 
Because he's the anointed king who reigns in heaven forever. That kind of fits pretty well, doesn't it? So these wonderful promises that are clearly for David and they're clearly for Jesus, but are they for you and for me? I want to tell you, but not yet. (laughs) Uh, I want to have a look at some of the background first, then we'll really grasp what's going on here. You see, the idea of God being like a shepherd wasn't David's idea. It goes way back, like literally thousands of years. For example, you remember Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? Jacob, when he was blessing his sons, he began praying like this, God, almighty God, who has been my shepherd all my life. And then he went on and blessed his sons. David just picks up on this and expands and extends the metaphor. And then after David, remember when the exile came? And uh, at the time of the exile, prophets and songwriters referred to God as the shepherd of Israel. Passages like Psalm 80 and Jeremiah 30. And then the prophet Ezekiel went on to explain that God would shepherd his people. Why? Because her kings had been such appalling shepherds. And then Amos explains how this is actually going to happen with these words. But you, Bethlehem... In the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we've got this prophecy of God's going to be your shepherd. And then somehow out of Bethlehem, that shepherd's going to come. How does that fit together? Well, for nearly three months now, we've exploring this series, Christ in the Psalms. The highlight for me has been seeing how these ancient songs, these wonderful, wonderfully vivid and and often very emotional poems, they point us to Jesus. More than that, they're actually fulfilled in Jesus. So let's jump to the New Testament uh, and see how this happens. Matthew, Matthew quotes these words from Micah, Matthew chapter 2, quotes these words from Micah that we just heard about Bethlehem. When the wise men are looking for, who are they looking for? Baby Jesus. A jump forward another 30 years and Mark recalls a moment in Jesus' ministry in chapter 6 when Jesus landed ashore, got out of the boat and saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he, this is Jesus, so Jesus began to teach them many things. He takes on that role of shepherd that they lacked. Just before his death, Jesus quoted Zechariah 13, saying to his disciples, You'll all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So at that point, he's really actually claiming to be the shepherd of God's people. And after his death and resurrection, the writer of Hebrews referred to Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. Peter referred to church leaders as being like under-shepherds and described Jesus as the chief shepherd. And then when we get to Revelation chapter 7, John writes about Jesus with these words, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. What a a wonderful combination of metaphors. (laughs) And he will lead them to springs of living water. Psalm 23, ching, ching. Like This is fascinating. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Who's the good shepherd? It's Jesus, quite clearly. And in case we're in 
any doubt, let's go back to our first reading that we heard this morning and listen to Jesus' own words. This is from John chapter 10. I'll just highlight a couple of verses. I am the good shepherd, he says. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also. He's talking about the Gentiles at that point. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So what we see quite clearly as Jesus interprets what's going on in Psalm 23 is that Psalm 23 is not just for for, for David and for Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd and he has his sheep. Notice how Jesus echoes the personal language of Psalm 23 in those verses from John. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. It's the same kind of really intimate language. So as we reflect on Psalm 23, the question is, are these words, uh, wonderful promises that we've looked at, are they really for you and for me? The answer, friends, is in the first line. Consider it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he? Is Jesus the one who leads me, saves me, feeds and comforts me? Is Jesus the one in whom I find my security and significance? Is Jesus the one who brings me to God? Sadly, I often prefer to try and save myself through impressing God with good works. I so easily follow other voices. Perhaps the minister or the youth leader. Well, don't do that. Um, uh, and we, we listen to other voices, don't we? Perhaps my spouse, my school friends, or worse, the internet is my shepherd. That would be a bad one. We so easily look to other people, possessions pursuits in life to try and satisfy the hunger of our thirsty hearts is the Lord truly my shepherd consider that first line again the Lord is my shepherd is he the Lord is certainly a good shepherd the very best shepherd the only shepherd that can lead us to eternal life but is He, my shepherd. Now, I've grown up in church. I know all the moves. I know how to smile the right way, how to sing, how to find the Bible passage really quickly if I have to. I've even done it at a green Bible. You know what? None of that makes me right with God. None of it. It doesn't make the Lord my shepherd. Because it's so easy to know about Jesus but not know Jesus. Jesus said there'll be many people who think they ought to go to heaven. can rattle off a whole list of things they've done in his name. And he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. The evil that they did wasn't all those things, but that they never knew him personally. Is the Lord Truly 
my shepherd. And lastly, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, is he? I'm basically a very selfish person. Hope you're better than me. I think we all are a bit like that, though. As a result, I want Jesus to be my friend. I want Jesus to be my my saviour for eternity. Definitely tick that one. But I want him on my terms. Friends, it does not work like that. The shepherd knows what is best for the sheep at all times and in every situation. He leads, saves, feeds and comforts them. But there are many things that he will not do for them because they would simply be harmed. Am I prepared to trust that Jesus knows what is best in every situation of life? Is the Lord truly my shepherd? Sadly, dangerously, over the years I've had numerous people find comfort and hope in this psalm, especially at funerals, if I can say that respectfully. But tragically, it's not theirs to have. They are believing a lie. They claim these promises in vain. Why? Because they have little time for and no interest in the God who gives these promises. Sure, the promises are great and they're very desirable, but leave God out of the picture and you'll lose the lot. Friends, it doesn't work that way. These promises are wonderful promises, but they belong only to those who belong, who know the Good Shepherd, Jesus to those who can say with confidence in Christ, not in themselves, these wonderful words. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen.